Well, good to see you here on our church picnic Sunday. We're going to be over in Judges. If you're up on Facebook today, i let you know our, our topic. We're going to finish up with Gideon before we move on and some other things here. But one of the things we're going to see here in the story with, with Gideon is the problem with one. That there's a problem whenever there's only one. Remember the commercial? Probably have seen this one. There's a little toaster that's up on there. And getting ready to come up out of the toaster is the only Eggo waffle left in the house. And everybody wants the Eggo waffle. You know, the, the let go of my Eggo uh, slogan. Don't, I think they still use that, don't they? I think they still do. It's a pretty good slogan for them, I guess. How about when you're at, at home and there's only one car? Multiple drivers, but only one car. That can be a problem, can it? How about if you were in a, a place that has tornadoes and nasty storms, and in your community there's only one storm cellar? What's everybody want to do? But one is not always the same in every situation. What happens when we go out and we say there's only one God? What happens when we show when the Word of God says there's only one God, there's only one way to that God? Now suddenly we're in the multiples. No, 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 there's other, other things. There's other things going on on there. See, when we all want the same thing, one is a problem. When we all need the same thing and there's only one, we begin to look for alternatives. And that's what the world is that we're living in. And we sometimes have a problem with the people in our world who constantly see one as a problem. When we go out and we say there's only one God, there's only one Bible, there's only one way to God, then we become the problem. And how do we deal with that? Well, we're going to take a look at that. one of the things that comes up in our passage here today. In Judges chapter 8, we're skipping over the battle, looking at Gideon here. Remember, he, he had gone into the battle last week. We hadn't fought the battle, but he was getting ready to go into the battle. And they went in with the 300 men, and they did what God said to do. And then people began to kill each other, and this great multitude began to wipe each other out. And then they just kind of came in and cleaned up the mess. So we're picking up here after this. The great victory has been done. After the great victory was won, a bunch of people got mad. How come you didn't bring us along? How come you didn't tell us about the thing? Of course, when they were going up against the multitude, they probably didn't want to go. But now that they had success, well, we want to be there. But here in Judges chapter 8, verse 22, Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. You did a great thing for us. Now, just rule over us. Now, the reason that they're saying this is not because they feel like God has given them a word and that God has said, pursue Gideon to be a ruler over you. That's not why they're doing it. Why they're doing it is because before Gideon came along, things were bad. Midianites were giving them problems. Things weren't going so good. Gideon came along. Now things are good. So they want to be lazy. I want you to make all of our decisions. Take us in the right direction. Seek after God. Do all those things for us. You rule over us. And you bring us into success. We'll just kind of reap the benefits of it.
You don't know anybody like that, do you? So they say, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also. Now, they're not just saying, you know, just, you know, take a rulership. They're, they're, they want him to be king. Because kings rule this way. Who takes over when a king dies? His son. Who takes over when that son dies? The other son. That's what they're saying. We want you to rule us over us. We want your son. We want your grandson. That's how we want things to go. Rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson. For you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. We are, we are so in love with you right now. We are so glad for the things that you have done. This is, this is good. This is beneficial for us. We are growing from this. Things have now come in. We've come into a, abundant prosperity. This is a great thing. So um, we're just going to hand the whole thing over to you. Not because this is the best thing for the land, not because God has said it, not because anything like that, just because we don't want to deal with it. And we want you to do it. We want you to take, take over this. That's what they said to George Washington, too. If, you, if they're still teaching that part of history. I know they, they leave out a lot anymore. Changed a whole lot. But they actually wanted him to be king and in his wisdom, he said, no, no, we came out of that. We, we don't want a king. I'm not going to be king. He could, have, he could have been king. They were so happy with him. Why? Because he brought him into victory over the, over the enemy. He says, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. But Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, nor shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you, which is how the Lord set it up. This is what the, the Lord wanted to be done. Remember in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 5? Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways, speaking to Samuel. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. So that's how they're supposed to be going. The people knew this, but they still came to Gideon and say, rule over us. Because most people want the easy way out. Isn't that, isn't that the way we want to go? We've been talking to you a little bit about that the last couple of weeks and, of course, in times, times past. Most people would want the easy way out. They either want to come up front and have the uh, man or woman of God lay hands on them and their problem go away or take a pill. Isn't that, isn't that how most of us want to do it? You know, there's a pill I can take. Just give me the pill. I'll take the pill and, and, uh, and we'll be done with this. We don't want to follow after, well, God, what should I do? And let God lead us into don't eat this, eat more of this, do this, don't do that. We don't want to listen to the Spirit of God to lead us into things that we should do. We just want to say, you know, like Naaman. I thought he would come out, the man of God would come out and just wave his hand, call on the name of his God, and the leprosy would be gone. That's what we like to, to see going on. But you remember over in the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness and they had not the ability to go out and get food and things, that food came down from heaven. Of course, they became dissatisfied with this. What is this manna? But that's all the food they had. The day they crossed over the Jordan, the day they came into the promised land, what happened to the manna? It stopped. Why? Because they could now go out and seek their own. The land had abundance of food. 
And now they had to do it on their own. They've been wanting to get out of the wilderness. Now they get out of the wilderness and they find out we've got to get our own food. Oh, for the days we just walked outside and there it was. <laughs> we always want to go, go back. But they said to Gideon, he says, we want you to rule over us. We want your son to rule over us. And we want your grandson to rule over us. And by, we're in chapter 8, right? By chapter 9, they will kill all of his sons. Just know this about people, folks. People are fickle. It's not you. How many of you have had trouble with fickle people? Yeah, it's not you. Now, sometimes you may have been the fickle person, but we're all, we've all encountered them. There's people, people will change their mind in a minute. They're going to do what benefits them. Very few people deal otherwise. Jesus taught on leadership. He said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, become the servant of all. The greater you are as a leader, the more you are mindful of what is needed by others. God can use you in the area of leadership, in the area of ministering to the people in His, in his uh, church, in His body, by the degree that you will forsake your own needs. Put yourself into a subservient position and minister to the needs of others. Be mindful of the needs of others. Now, it's not a you're in one camp or another. There's all kinds of gradual things in between. How mindful are you of the needs of other people and how mindful are you of the needs of yourself? The goal is to get less mindful of our own needs. Now, there are some things you need to take care of. There are times that Jesus was walking around in the wilderness and he took his disciples and says, look, you guys, we've been ministering a lot. Let's go away to a secluded place to build them up, to get them going. There's time for that. But the purpose of that is I need to go away, build myself up so I'm better able to, to minister and better able to do some things in here. If you're running around with a chick, like a chicken with your head cut off, you know that's actually a thing. I have never seen it. But my grandfather would tell me stories. Because he lived on a farm where they did that. And it was his job to go out and cut their heads off. His job. He hated it. He'd go out there and he'd play with the chickens for hours. And eventually he had to get the hatchet out and he had to do it. And he said, that's exactly what they do, though. They just run around and... <laughs> that's that's a, a phrase that came in, but it had, some, of course, some, some meaning behind it. But don't be doing that. Don't just be running around doing things. What has God called you to do? What has God put it on your plate to do? And do those things and stop doing what somebody else is supposed to do. Because you're keeping them from growing. One of the books I was, I was reading um, in the last couple of months, I read one that he, uh, he was, uh, John Maxwell was telling us. And he said this, made this statement. He said, if you are doing something that someone else can do at least 80% as good as you can, you're wasting your time. Thought about that for a while. Says, yeah, I guess that's probably right. What are you doing that somebody else could be doing? You see, you're hindering them from growing and you're keeping yourself out from doing what you should be doing. Because there are some things that you do that no one else can do because God has uniquely gifted you. God has done some things for you. But if you keep poking your nose in somebody else's deal, not going to help you out. Don't just find that out at church. You find that out at workplace as well. Develop the people that are around you.
It's a good thing. But get less mindful of who you are and what you need, and more mindful of who whose others are and what they need. Help you out. Now, Gideon could have been swept away by the victory. He could have been thinking about how great of a guy he was and how lucky they are to have him. And he might have accepted this. But he had the presence of mind to say, no, no, this is what God said. This is what God said in His Word. God said in His Word that He was going to be our king. He was going to be the one who ruled over us, not man. And so he refused that, and he, he stayed away from that. I wrote this in your outline just so you make sure you take this home with you. The worst time to make long-term or big decisions seems to be after a great victory or defeat. Be careful about that because that gets your emotions going. And you get so emotional that you make the decision out of your emotions and not out of your spirit. And you'll have some problems. Well, let's go on with this. Verse 24. Then Gideon said to them, I would like to make a request of you. So are you all happy with me? You all like me a whole lot right now. I want, I want to make a request of you that each of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had gold earrings because they were Ishmaelites. The people they conquered were Ishmaelites and apparently they like gold earrings. So they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw it into the, er- the, the earrings from his plunder. So they all took the earrings that they had in their plunder that they had taken from the people that they had conquered because remember there are a multitude of multitude people and these guys apparently like to wear gold earrings. I don't wear gold earrings. I don't want to wear gold earrings. I am not going to wear gold earrings. That's just me. There are some guys out there and they like that. I'm, that's fine. They can, they can wear earrings. I don't wear gold. For one thing, I take part of activities that that would be hazardous. <laughs> but I'm just not into the gold But apparently if you are an Ishmaelite, the pressure was on to wear gold earrings. And so can you imagine a multitude of people all over, like the sand on the shirt, just people, and each one of them had gold earrings. I don't know if they had one gold earring or if they had two gold earrings, but each one of them had a gold earring. Now imagine collecting all of those gold earrings and dividing them amongst 300 people. It's a lot of gold earrings. And so they took all the, either all the gold earrings or they each took one, whatever number it was, they all took them, they brought them in, and they laid a, a blanket down, and they threw the gold earrings on the blanket. And they said, we will gladly give them to you. Has anyone ever asked you something to give them that you didn't want to give? You don't gladly give it, do you? You reluctantly give it. You all heard this story before, but I'm, one, of my, one of my favorite stories, Creflo Dollar, Brother Creflo Dollar told, he said God told him to you know, give away, I think, three suits or something like that. And so he went up there and you know, there were three best suits, three good suits and he didn't want to give away those three, so he got five suits, I think it was, that he didn't like as much, and he gave them to the person. And God said, I told you to give him those three suits. And so finally he obeys. He goes up there and gives him the three suits, and now he's got eight suits, I think is what the total was. Gave him eight suits, the five plus the three. And God says, now what am I going to do? That's eight suits going out of my closet. He said, I only told you to give away three. <laughs> that was a fun story. But you all know how that is. You know, God asks you to give away something, and it's something that you really like. Ah, but I like that one. How about this? I'll give three of these. But can I keep that one? No, I'll just do what God says. But they came and they gladly gave them. They were so happy for what Gideon had led them into and the victory that had come. 
Now, the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 100, well, I'm sorry, 1,700 shekels of gold. You all know how much that is, right? We can just go on from there. Besides the crescent ornaments, pendants, and purple robes, which, which were on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were around their camels' necks. So we're not counting all this other stuff. Remember, the camels were in multitudes. We couldn't even count the camels. And they had gold on them. Who puts gold on their camels? No wonder they lost the battle. They're making bad decisions. Gold on the camels. Come on. He didn't ask for all that. All he asked for was the earrings. And so he gave 1,700 shekels of gold. Now, I went up on the Internet and I, I checked this out. How much does 1,700 shekels of gold weigh? And blow and behold, there's a little conversion website that takes all your uh, old biblical shekels and converts them into what it weighs now. And if you do the conversion, this will come out to exactly 42 and a half pounds. I rounded it up to 43. 43 pounds of gold on the blanket. Now that blanket can hold 43 pounds. Any blanket that I know, can, you can put 43 pounds on that blanket. So he's got 43 pounds of gold. Now what's that value that? How many of y'all know how much value does 43 pounds of gold have. All right. So, you know what? There is another website that you can go on and it will say how many ounces, pounds, or tons of gold do you have? And it will convert it into the current today. How much does it, how much is it worth based on what the value of gold is at today? Not last week. Today. So if today you were given 43 pounds of gold or 1,700 shekels of gold, you would have in your possession. Are you ready for this number? This is the exact number that came out. You can round it off if you want to. 837 thousand dollars, 701 and 48 cents. 837 701 and 48 cents. That is almost a million dollars. He asked for the area. He got almost a million dollars. That's a lot of gold. You can, how many can do a lot with... Just, today, just right now, right now, just today, you were just going around minding your own business and now a million dollars is dropped in your lap. That is not counting whatever he got from the spoil of the battle. He got some stuff from the spoil of the battle, but he now has $837,701 that he didn't have before in gold. Now, this is only some of all the uh, proceeds, all the spoil that came from the, from the Midianites. Just the earrings is almost a million dollars. What do you think it is if you tally up all the clothes, all the other gold, the rings, the, the chains, the they came into something. Boy, they came into something. They just gave up a little bit of gold with the earrings. They still have all that other gold left. That's a lot of money they just came into. All right. So, now you got it. Have you pictured in your mind what are you going to do with it? Here's what Gideon did with it. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and set it up in his city, Ophrah. 
And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and his house. Thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel, so they lifted their heads no more, and the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So he makes an ephod. Why does he make an ephod? Could have been a couple of reasons for this. I had to pull them out of your outline because I didn't have enough room. But for one thing, the priest may not have instituted real worship as yet. And so maybe he's doing this to institute real worship. That is a possibility. Uh, Moses' ephod may have been destroyed somewhere along the, the way, but I don't necessarily think that's the, exactly what happened. His intentions may have, been, may have begun as good, and then they became bad as they, they went along. But there is only one ephod in Israel. There is only supposed to be one ephod. Just like there's only one ark. And just like there's only one high priest. Remember, we have a problem with one. We have a problem with one when it says, you can only have this one. It's kind of like if you wake up in the morning and you go into the cupboard and you look for the cereal. And there's only one cereal. And it's not the one you like. It's Fruity Pebbles or something like that. Do we have people in here that like Fruity Pebbles? Did I get... Are we just people? Okay. Uh, I can't stand them. I will not eat fruity pebbles. I don't like those uh, chocolate pebbles either. What are those things called? Cocoa, cocoa puffs. Yeah, I don't like those ones either. Nope, nope. Now, um, uh, Nikolai just sent me a, a, a note. Apparently, Cheerios is coming up with a new flavor. Did you all hear about this? Because everything is pumpkin spice, and so now we're going to have pumpkin spice Cheerios. I said I'd give it a shot. You know, I'd give it a try and see what it's like, but... Um, you know, if you come on down to the, to the cupboard, there's only one box of cereal and it's not one you like, you are not happy. You want to go out to the store. You want to go out and do something. If there's only one type of milk and it's skim milk and you don't like skim milk, then you, you don't want the, you're not going to put it in your coffee. You're not going to put it in your cereal. You know, it takes a while to get used to skim milk. It, it's, I never got to that place. Never got to that place. I told you there was that time... When a couple of years where I was on a low-fat, high-carb, high-protein, high-calorie, high-everything-else, low-fat. Fat was almost eliminated out of the thing. So, you know, I went from whole milk to 2% milk to 1% milk. Never could bridge it to skim. Never could quite get down to the skim. But now I, I drink another stuff so much, I can't go to whole milk. Whole milk's like, oh, that's awful. Just... Don't like it. So I, I'm in the 1% and 2% mode. But every time I put skim milk on something, it looks like it's water. It looks like water to me. Sorry, we've got a loose cord, I guess, on here. But anyway, if that's the only choice you have, how many of you would walk away from your cereal bowl? Not going to be doing that yet. We don't, we don't like one when it's limiting us. One F5. What's this one F5? I mean, we've got to go all the way down here. More than likely, one F5, one ark, and one high priest are all over in Shechem. Not that far from where he's setting up his ephod. But it is a walk. It is a, it is a bit of a walk. You have to, to go, you know, at least a little bit of a distance. It's not a great distance for as far as they would go for things. But it is a little bit of a distance. Whatever it was. But he decides, of all the things he can do with this thing, he decides he's going to make an ephod. God does not direct him. God does not tell him. In fact, the Word of God would tell him differently. There's only supposed to be how many ephods? supposed to be one ephod. There's supposed to be one ark. There's supposed to be one high priest. But we've got two ephods now. And now that we have two ephods, well, you still only have one ark. You still only have one high priest. So if you want to go and to utilize the ephod for what it's supposed to be used for, 
well, instead of going down to where the ark is, instead of going down to where the high priest is, I'll just go over here and use Gideon's. It's closer. And so by doing that, they're now no longer going to the ark. They're no longer going to the high priest. They're no longer going to the places where the sacrifices are being made. We're taking the convenient route. I'm just going to come up over here and seek after God. God, should I do this or should I do that? Let's use the F5 and find out. F5 says, go. <clears throat> so now we have two. It's not like we tried to make one for every city. We got two. And what happens is we have more than likely the one, Shec- the one over in Shechem with the high priest and with the ark and then the one over here with Gideon. Not very far away. And everybody decides, let's go over here. I like this one better. But it doesn't have all the things that God says it should have. Now, the reason we're spending some time on that is because we face the same thing today, just like we faced it back in the decades before. How many times do people go to worship God, but we decide, you know what? I want to worship God, but I don't like all that stuff about sin. You know, you go to some church services, and they just make you feel uncomfortable. But I can come over to here... And I don't feel uncomfortable. They make me feel okay. They don't talk about sin. I don't feel out of place. I think I'm going to go and go to this one because then we don't have all that sin stuff going on. I've read over one church's website and church in the area and uh, their purpose, stated purpose on their website is to make non-Christians feel comfortable in church. Now, that sounds good. On the, on the, on the, we want to get non-Christian. We want to get unsaved people into church. But the reason, the way we're doing it is we don't talk about sin. We don't talk about lifestyle choices. We don't, uh, you know, we make sure that the service stays. We, we'll get you out in 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. Get you on, on, on your way and doing things. We, we don't necessarily open up the Bible all the time because, you know, people can get kind of tired of the Bible and it's kind of a dated book and, well, you know, we, and we, we don't want to call everything sin. I mean, it's your lifestyle choice. And if you want to use this kind of a thing, if you want to go in this kind of a direction, if you want to do this particular thing, well, that's, that's your choice. It's your choice. You can, you can go ahead and do that. See, we, we sometimes choose Gideon's F out over the real F out all the time. Now, God has not said a whole lot of things about churches about what churches should, in, should have, what New Testament worship should have. But here's some of the things we know that New Testament worship should have, or, or church should have. You should first off have worship that takes you into the presence of God. That's what you should have. There should be worship takes you into the presence of God. Ministry ought to go on in churches. Laying on our hands, sick people getting prayed for, people who need ministry getting ministered to. That should happen in churches, should it not? Did it not happen in the New Testament? Did it not happen under Peter, under Paul? This is the kind of things that would happen. The Word should be taught. If the Word is not taught, we're moving away from... But, but really, those three things are about the only things that I find out are, are pretty much locked in. True worship to God, ministry, and the Word of God. As Paul would put it, you know, preaching the the uncompromised Word of God, the whole Word of God. These are the kind of things that you should have. But what we've done instead is we have replaced it with, well, you know what? I don't like all that Word stuff, but I, I, I like this, this program over here. 
Or some people have come into churches. I've run into people who have done this. You know, they want a meeting place. I need a place to meet people. I need business contacts. I need people that I can grow my business with. I need people that I can get into. You know, we, we go after, we pursue these kind of things. But that's not what the Word of God says that we're supposed to. No, they're, they're good if you can add them in. That's all fine. Not wrong to go to church to, to meet people and make friends. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. But we've got to make sure that the basics in the Word of God are covered. You know, truthfully, in the Word of God, there was no children's ministries. There was no um, nurseries. They, these things weren't there. How many are glad that we had them? Yeah, we grow up in children's ministry. We grow up and learn. We tailor the Word of God so that they can understand it. It can be a good, it's a good thing. But that's something we, we still got to tie in, even in children's ministries, even in other things. We've got to tie it in what? The Word, worship, the ministry. It's still got to be going on. So we've got to make sure we focus on those things. Those are the things the Word of God tells us are in there. We've got to make sure we, we hold on to that. We can add in some other things. You know, church picnics are not in the Word of God. I mean, it's not there. How many are glad today we added it in? Church picnics are, are fine. They gathered together for food. They did some things like that. Communion, that's also a part of the New Testament church. Probably put that in as something, uh, a fourth thing. But very often, people be, the, the lone ephod is generally preferred over the true worship. And that, so Gideon's ephod that he set up, apart from what was supposed to be done, grew in popularity. And the people came. Because you come and you worship at Gideon's ephod, well, it doesn't matter what you wear. If you come over here and worship at Gideon's ephod, you don't have to sing those songs that they sing over there. If you come over to Gideon's ephod, we've cut out the word of God. You don't have to hear sin being condemned over here in Gideon's ephod. If you want to hear all that, go over to Shechem. But over here, this is what we do. And then pretty soon after they started getting away from some things, they got away from more things and got away from more things and got away from more things. And the Word of God just says this thing became a snare for the children of Israel. Every time the Word of God says that there's a snare, it's not good. It says that all Israel played the harlot with it there. That is not a good phrase. Every time that is brought out in the Word of God, it is bad. Bad. It became a snare to Gideon and to his house. So he may have set it up with good intentions to begin with, but it became a snare to him. And it was a problem for him. He came in and God blessed him with almost a million dollars worth of gold. And he built something that was going to cause him problems. Then he just kind of goes on from this and just Midian was subdued before the children of Israel. So they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. It's not saying that Midian would never be a problem again. It just says right now they weren't a problem. Verse 29. Then Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. We've got 40 years are going to transpire here very quickly. Gideon had 70 sons. 70 sons. Now do the math on this thing. Seventy sons. We're not counting the daughters. If we just do 
I know that not everybody is 50-50, but if we just did 50-50 and said, all right, 70 sons, somewhere in there you got some daughters. Let's say you had 70 daughters. That's 140 kids in 40 years. How many of you know that is not possible? How many ladies will agree? That is not possible. Yeah, well, there is a way to do it. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring, for he had many wives. Many, how many is many? Uh, a lot. More than one. How many are you supposed to have? One. See, we've got a problem with one. God says, you shall have one wife. Wives, you shall have one husband. In the Bible, we don't really find any problems with the wife having the one husband. It's the husband having the one wife. That's where we have the, In the Bible. There might be other places where there was, there was an issue, but in the Bible, we mostly have a problem with the husbands having... More than one wife. So he had many. How many wives do you have to have to have upwards of 140 kids? That is a lot of wives. What comes with multiple wives? Multiple problems. Much strife. Much strife. God knew it. He says, I don't want you to have those problems. Have one wife. One. One wife. God says, how many times is it? One wife. What do they go out and do? Many. Many. How many F5s are you supposed to have? One. How many we built? Two. We've got a problem with one. Now, wives are one thing. But apparently, many wives did not do it for Gideon. Because in the next verse, and his concubine, who was in Shechem. So I guess this is a, you know, a person who's kind of like a wife, but you're not married to her. She doesn't live with you. So when he's traveling around, apparently he's got at least one, maybe more concubines that are around the place. And his concubine, who was, who was where? Where's the F5 more than likely kept? Hmm. Interesting. So I can't go to Shechem for the ephod, the ark, and the high priest, but I can for my concubine. And this concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son, whose name he called Ahimelech. That is not one of the 70. The 70 sons are of his wives. If you go through and you read on chapter 9, you will find out that Ahimelech will rise up and say, let's kill these 70 sons. He's not one of the 70. And they get 70 shekels of silver to kill the 70 sons. They basically put a hit out on the 70 sons and it's going to cost them a shekel a son. The Word of God says in chapter 9 that they got the uh, worthless men to do it. So you get worthless men, you don't have to pay so much. So his concubine bore him a son whose name was Ahimelech. Now, we don't know if he had any more concubines. We're only bringing out the one concubine because she had the one son and this son becomes into the picture later on. Now, Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father. Now, look at this. He died at an old age. He got in faith one day his entire life. And had a great victory. After that, 
He takes the gold from the victory that God gave him and he makes an ephod and leaves Israel into a, a false worship of God. Then he multiplies wives to himself. Not content with that, he has concubines. How many are having a problem with Gideon? And he died at a what? Good old age. How many of you, are, if you were God, would have taken him out earlier? Gideon, I ain't getting tired of this. Took me how long to get you in a place of faith? And when you finally get there and you get spoiled, what do you do with the money? And that's not all the money he got. Because he's got money to support 70 wives. And a concubine. Now we're going to get into this on Wednesday night. Talk about this a little bit. Because how many of you have a problem with sin? Other people's sin. Right? We don't have so much of a problem. I love that quote from last week. I thought I was making note of it. But if you didn't get last week's bulletin... Find one. It's a good, great quote. Tony Cook put it up. But um, we, we don't have a problem with our own sins. No, we're used to those. Those are, those are good sins. <laughs> we have a problem with other people's sins. They shouldn't be doing that. Uh-uh. So here's a, you know, I gave you a pretty long discourse of it. How many read the discourse I put it on there in the bulletin already? Anybody at all? One, two, three, four, five people. Great. Okay. The rest of you can read that later on. Don't read it now. <laughs> Your time was before church. <laughs> well, we're going to get into this topic on, on sin because when does sin disqualify us from ministry? Have you ever heard that topic talked about? Anybody ever talk? All right. A few people have. I was asking God about this. God, you know, sometimes you ask God questions. I don't know about you. I do this. I ask God questions that I think I know the answer to. Why not? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you this question anyway. And because I, I want to know what he, said, what he has to say about this thing. So I was asking on this particular question. It says, how do you know when someone should be disqualified from ministry and when someone shouldn't be? When are we condoning a sin instead of pointing it out? Should we always point it out? Is that our job? So we're going to take on some of these things. It's going to be at least one Wednesday, maybe two. I don't think we're going to be on it any longer than that. So if you don't usually come out on Wednesday, and that's of interest to you, come on out on Wednesday. We're going to be getting into, uh, into that one. Because the Bible has some things to say about it. And I gave you a couple of the examples in the, in the Bible. There's more beside that. But remember Judas? Judas is in ministry. What's he doing with the money? He's stealing it. Why doesn't Jesus remove him? Did Jesus not know? There has got to be a reason why Jesus did not remove him, isn't it? Doesn't there have to be? What did Paul do with John Mark when John Mark decided to leave? He's not coming with us again. We are not bringing that boy. Mm-mm. He can go learn with somebody else. We are not bringing him along with us. What do you do with some people who fell into some sins? He'd kick them out of ministry. So why is it that some people can get kicked out of ministry and other people like Judas don't? Did you ever ask yourself that question? All right. If you come on Wednesday, we're going to get into it. Because I've got to know what my responsibility is. You've got to know what your responsibility is. Because just because a person's involved in sin doesn't mean they get out of ministry. How many of y'all, I'm not going to ask you this one, but just use your inside hand. How many of you have a sin in your life? Don't raise your hand. Inside hand. 
And yet that sin, you'll still get up and you'll still do the things for God. Why is that? What is it? What causes a sin to disqualify you? What takes you out of ministry? I'll take a, here's, here's one for you. Remember the guy in the book of Acts? He got up there, he and his wife, and they brought the money. What happened to him? He didn't just get out of ministry. He got out of life. <laughs> Gone. All right. Why does God judge that one so quick and Judas is still over there? Why is that going on? Yeah, there's, a, there's an answer for it in the Word of God. There is an answer for it in the Word of God. But here's Gideon. Gideon is doing a bunch of stuff wrong. He's built the ephod, set up a false worship, multiplying wives to himself, and then taking people that are not his wife and playing house. Right? And what's God doing? Apparently nothing. Because he lived to a ripe old age. Good old age. The Word of God says it was a good old age. (laughs) Forty years after this battle, he's still going. I'm going to put him at least in his 60s. He's still going. And then he died. So it was, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Baal, Barith their god. They picked up the Baals again. Why? Because Gideon set the stage for it. He took them out of the true worship. He took them out of the place they were hearing the Word of God, out of the place they were having true worship of God, out of the place they were having the ceremonies, out of the place where they were having the things that pointed to the Christ coming. Out of all those things, he took them out of that to give them the convenient ephod. So they're out of all those things. And so when this temptation for Baal comes up, what do they do? They go right along and they forget the misery that it was under Midian because they were worshiping the Baals before. They forget the victory that God gave them, bringing all that multitude into defeat by the hands of 300 people. They forget all the spoil that came from that and the wealth that infused that country because of that victory. They forgot 40 years of no trouble. And as soon as Gideon is gone, they totally go in the other. Now, whatever Gideon was doing he was in the false area of worship, he was still keeping them focused on Jehovah somewhat, somehow. He was focused on Jehovah, but it was not the focus that was going to keep them out of the bales. And as soon as he dies, they go right after the bales. Thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. Nor did they show kindness to the house of Jeroboam, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. And if you want to see what it means by that, go on to the next chapter because Ahimelech's going to rise up and say, look, what's better? 70 sons of Gideon rule over you or me? And remember, I'm one of you. They said, let's get rid of the 70. And so they give him some money and he hires some people and they all go over there and they kill the 70 sons. That's how much they thought of Gideon. Because when you get away from the Word of God, when you get away from true worship, when you get away from the Word, when you get away from the things that God has, has said church should be in your life, it may not take a week, it may not take a month, it may take longer than that, it may go a few years, but eventually you get worn down, worn down, and worn down, and the enemy comes in. And he takes what you got. And he puts you into a place where you're 
worshiping idols even. That's as soon as Gideon is dead. All that goes on. Well, here we have, these are the things that should, should guide us. And these are the things that should have guided Gideon. First off, the word that is written. The word that is written, we've gone over this many, many times. This is nothing new to you. But the word that is written should take number one place in our life. What does the word teach us to do? What does it say we should do? How many of you know people born again, claim to be born again, love God, claim to love God, and are blatantly disobeying the Word of God? How do you get to that place? How do you get from a place where you honor the Word of God in every area to the place where you are selective? Well, I'll do this one and this one. But the Word is written. What does it mean? We've got to keep learning it. We've got to keep getting into the Word of God. I've got to keep learning what the Word has to say to me. What the Word has to say for me. What is the Word saying? How is it supposed to guide me? What is it supposed to have me do? Because I am always supposed to be growing. Now, if you ask this, this question to most Christians, of course, they'll all say yes, but it, how many people have a complete understanding of the Word of God? No, no, no. Is there more that you could learn about the Word of God? Yes, yes, yes. But then we pick up the Word of God and we read it. Well, I know that. Well, I know that. Yeah, I know that. I don't know why I'm even reading this thing. I already know these things. And so we can get a cold attitude, even though I know I don't know everything. In actuality, I'm walking in a way that I do. That I do know everything. But there's the Word that is written. And there is more revelation coming to you. There is more revelation waiting for you. It's, it's there for you to have. But your attitude towards the Word, every time you pick it up, Father God, I thank you that you teach me. Father God, I thank you that you, there is more for me to learn in your Word. And there's a Word that is spoken. There's the Word that is spoken. God has spoken things to us. He's taught us. He's instructed us. He's told us. They're going to be in line with what is written. But He's going to speak things. This is where we had... In, in uh, our, our main scripture in First John, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirit. Just because you heard it spoken, that doesn't mean that, um, that God said it. You've got to find out. Did God say it? Did this come from God? So there's the word that is written. There's the word that is spoken. What has God spoken to you? It's going to come in, li- in line with what is written. And I, this is just sort of a side note. But just because you have, have identified something as not God does not mean it won't affect you. Just because you have identified this is the enemy. This is the enemy speaking to me. This is, I know this is, this is the enemy. I know that this is what his, his words are. Just because God has revealed that to you and just because you know that this is not God, this is the enemy, does not mean it cannot have an effect on you. We're getting into football season. But you can do this with football, hockey, all these kind of things. What happens when you have two opposing football players on the line, one on offense, one on defense? What kind of words are they saying to each other? How you doing? You having a good day? Man, that helmet looks good on you. You look like you've been working out all season. You look like you're in good... Is that what they're saying to each other? 
What kind of things are they saying? I'm taking you down. I am taking you down. This is your last play. <laughs> I'm coming through you. These are the kind of things that they say, right? Now, is there any question that this man is not on your team? Any question at all? No, he's wearing a different color. He's got blue on. You've got green on. No way he's on our team. But he's still speaking to you. Why do they speak? Because they want it to have an effect. They want you to become afraid of them. Just understand this, folks. The enemy is speaking to you. The enemy speaks to me. I've identified him as the enemy. And he's still speaking to me. And he's telling you things. This is going to fail. He'll tell me things. Reveal things. Try to reveal things anyway. How do you think church is going? Oh, it's not going good. I'm going to stir up these people against these people over here. And I'm going to stir up this ministry against this ministry over here. Yeah, pastors hear those kind of things. He mess with your day. He can come in and he can speak those kind of things to you and try and get you to be focused on what he wants you to focus on. And then he's going to go around and he's going to talk to everybody else on the team. And he's going to tell them things. See, that person, they're taking your ministry and pastor's letting them. Huh. How come you're not putting that? How come you're not giving that? How come so-and-so did this and you didn't get to? It's always trying to stir up strife. And always trying to stir up things. And always trying to get dissatisfaction. And always trying to get the negative to come out. See, we have to guard against it. One of my roles as your pastor is to know what the enemy is doing and to teach you things to help you defend against it. But you see, I can't defend it in your life. You have to defend it. I can point out what the Word of God says, but I can't get you to remove those things out of your life. You have to do it. I can give you an example of how I do things. It doesn't mean that you're going to do things that way. We talked about even with, with, with words. There are some things that for me are cuss words. I can't even say them to give you the example. They are a cuss word to me, and most people use them in everyday conversation. If I told you what they were, you would say, really? But I guarantee you, you have never heard me use those words here in church or outside of church. Never. Not one single time. Not a single time. I will not use them. Very, very, I'm not talking about the real hard-nosed cuss words that are out there. I'm just talking about the ones that I have heard preachers use from the platform. And I'm not just talking recently. I was an assistant pastor in a church, and my pastor used the word I still to this day will not use. I won't use it. I know many people, Christians alike, pastors, people in ministry, use these words all the time. I will not use I will not use them in everyday casual conversation. For to me, they are a cuss word. I don't know where that got in my head. But it is. And you have never heard me use any of those words. You don't know what they are because I won't tell you. (laughs) I won't spell it out for you. I won't give you just enough so you can figure it out. Because then that puts it in your head. I don't need to do that. But then, you know, you get on out there and you find people who are just just Christian people. Say cuss words. I mean, real live cuss words. The ones that the world thinks are cuss words. 
Why are you doing that? Your mouth is supposed to speak life. Don't mix death in with it. Get it out of there. Don't have, don't have it come out. Well, I keep those things out when I'm in church, but when I'm at home. Come on, get that out of there. Get those things gone out of your, out of your thoughts, out of your vocabulary. Rid yourself of them. You don't need to have them. I had people, you know, playing hockey and doing other things, and they know I'm a pastor, and they would let something fly. Oh, I'm sorry, because they know I'm a pastor. You know, I say that in front of me. They get all, all, all mad. I says, you know, don't get mad, don't, don't get upset because you're saying it in front of me. I'm not in front of you all the time. You're in front of God all the time. Don't be saying those things if you don't think you should. Watch your mouth. Watch your conversation. Word of God says that our conversation is cleansed. Walk that way. Be that way. You can clean up your your conversation. You can clean up your thoughts. Get these things out of here. How do we get off on that? There's the written and there's the spoken. These are the words that are to guide us. They're to guide you through life. You do not need to have a vision of an angel. You do not have to have a heavenly vision. If they come, great. But you do not have to have those things. What you have is the Word of God. And then the Spirit of God is going to speak things to you and reveal things to you. Both of those things you will have in your life. Stay mindful of them. Let them guard you. Gideon did not let what was in the Word of God that he had guide him and he built an ephod out of almost a million dollars worth of gold. I don't know if they take it, took into consideration how much more a million dollars was for him compared to us. Don't know if it took all those things into consideration. But the enemy is going to try and get something different on the inside of you than what God has written and what God has spoken. These are the enemy's words. He is sometimes not going to come veiled. He is sometimes going to come, here I am. And you are going to die. I'm going to take you out. I love what Brother Keith Moore said one time. The devil was telling him he was going to die. He's going to take him out. He finally came, got the revelation from God. He says, devil, if you could have taken me out, you would have done it already. <laughs> you know what? That's right. You've got to give him the open door. Don't give him the open door. Laugh in his face. You may not like football, but picture the football field. When that guy is speaking garbage, what should you speak? You can just laugh at him. <laughs> How many are watching America's Got Talent? Really? That's it? All right. Go up on YouTube. There's a little girl raising her hand. Go up on YouTube and watch this one. Uh, the Eagles have a player. And uh, he's a phenomenal magician. Great long snapper. One of the best long snappers in the business. Most of you do not know what a long snapper is. I understand that. But just understand, he is one of the best long snappers in the business. And he came on up there. He's doing his magic. And they're all just in, they're just in love with him. But one of the things he gave us on the on the thing was it's, it has become known before he was on America's Got Talent it became known that he was a magician and that he would do things and so he said uh, this is what he said up on stage one time he says yeah some of the other guys on the other side of the because he, he's a long snapper that's the center that's the guy who's going to snap the ball 
when the punter's in, when people that the ball has to go longer distance and has to be accurate, he's the guy who comes in. And he says the people on the other side, they would say things like, hey, magic boy. <laughs> and he just gave us some nice ones that they were saying. I'm sure that there's a lot meaner ones that they, that they said. But I mean, this is what the enemy is saying. And he's saying it with a smile on his face. Because that's what you've got to do. The enemy comes at you and he tries to speak things to you. You laugh at him. <laughs> you're not taking me out, devil. You're not, you're not killing me. You're not taking my family out. You're not taking my kids out. You're not taking my job away. You just tell him, you are not going to do it. You get tough and you get into his face. Because this is the thing. The, you're not just going to hear words that are veiled. Is this God or is this not? You are going to get words that are spoken in your life that are 100% from the enemy. And if he can get you to believe him, he can take you down. He will try the other veiled ways as well. But there's times he's going to come just straight on. And this is what I put in your outline for you. What foreign word is trying to get you today? What foreign word? What word from the enemy's camp is knocking at your door and trying to get you to build an ephod? Trying to get you to do something that's just off. I mean, it sounds good. I'm going to build this. I'm going to give God a million dollars and make an ephod for God. It sounds good, but it's not what God wants. It's not what God asked for. And it's again God's, God's word. What foreign word is the enemy trying to put into your life? Give you a, a clue. Foreign words and words from the enemy are in there to create strife. They're in there to create dissatisfaction. They're in there to create envy, promote self-seeking, to get you to think the least of other people, to get you to be suspicious of other people instead of thinking the best. He's going to go against the Word of God and try and put this in. What I want you to see today is not every attack from the enemy is veiled. Some of them, he's just coming straight up at you. Let's see what you do with this. And he's just going to come right at you. And sometimes we cower and we, we fall into fear. Don't fall into fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. Stand up against the enemy. Enemy, you know you can't take me down. You can't do it. If I am grounded on the Word of God, if I am situated on what God has said, you cannot take me down. When they came after, when the enemy came after Jesus, what was Jesus' response? It is written. It is written. It is written. And the enemy went away. I try and come back again at another time. Now, that's a story where he was not veiled. He's like, "Here I am. I am the enemy. How you doing? I'm going to take you out today." I understand everything that the enemy does not do. It's not always concealed. It's sometimes right out there in the open. And he's going to take that foreign word and he's going to begin to put it inside. And he's going to make us think, you know that little pain you got in there? It's a tumor. And you're going to die. Now I can say, I know that doesn't come from God. That God doesn't speak those kind of things. But it keeps working on me. Or you begin to see people buzzing around, whispering things around the workplace. And the enemy comes in and says, they're talking about you. They're going to fire you they're talking about you 
They don't like you here. So he comes in and he'll sow these foreign words and they begin to consume us. They begin to take over our thoughts. No longer is the word of God taking over our thoughts. No longer is the word that God has spoken to me taking over my thoughts. Now it's this foreign word. Spending all my time defending against it. I'm trying not to have that come into my life. No, what what should you do? (laughs) Just laugh at him. The devil, you are a liar. If you're telling me I'm going to die, that means I'm going to live. Glory to God. Because <laughs> you are a liar. If you're telling me I'm going to get fired, that means I'm probably going to get promoted. <laughs> if you're telling me they don't like me, they must love me around here. <laughs> and you just go on. It's the enemy. Why would you believe anything he would say? But Gideon did. Gideon took what the enemy said. And brought it to life. And out of a great victory came an ephod that was used to bring Israel down. And eventually, 40 years later, they're right back into worshiping the Baals. And Gideon's family is dead. Can you think of, put yourself in Gideon's place? Why don't you build an ephod for God after all he did for you? Why don't you build him an ephod? All right, you have a wife, but look, these women are throwing themselves at you because you saved this country. You are the hero. What's it going to hurt to have a second wife? And then a third, and then a fourth, and then a fifth, and then a sixth, and then why even bother getting married? No reason. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's what the enemy does. God's words are for life. God's word does not come along to condemn us. God's word comes along to build us up, to edify us, to bring us into all that he has for us. Understand that God's thoughts about you are good thoughts. And he has lots of them. Lots of good thoughts about you. Don't accept what the enemy has to say. Don't let that foreign word get on the inside of you. Let the word of God and what God has revealed to you guide you. Think on these things. You hit something in the road, not quite sure how to handle it, ask God. God, what should I do about this? How should I handle it? How should I? Just ask Him. He will help you. He'll open it up for you. He'll show you what you can do. But God gives life. God's words give peace, gives joy. God's word promotes love, care, so many things you can just list goes on and on. That's what God's words do. The enemy's words bring death, destruction, theft. Don't let them bring that in. Hate, anger, dissatisfaction, envy, all those things. Don't let them bring those things in. Father, I thank you for you have helped us guard against the attacks of the enemy. You have helped us to identify the words of God, the words that almost sound like God but are not, and helped us when the enemy directly confronts us. Speaking your word and words of life come to us. Father, we thank you for you are pouring good into us. And we need to go out and pour good into others. The enemy wants to pour bad things into our life. And then we go out and we pour those bad things into other people's lives. And we spread his kingdom.
But that's not how you want it. It's not how you said it should go. We want to receive the, the love, the life, the light that comes from you and be spreaders of those things. I thank you, Father, that you help us. I thank you that you minister to us. I thank you, Father, that you use us as though we are imperfect vessels. You use us. We give you the praise and the honor for it. Would you all stand up? Every head bowed, no one looking around. One question they ask you here this morning. We've talked a lot about the words that come from God and the words that seem like they might come from God. But how many of you would say right now that you can identify that the enemy himself has spoken some words into your life? He has put some thoughts into your head. He has put some things right down on the inside of you trying to dominate your thoughts with negative things. All right. You take this word and you guard against it. You do not have to go in the direction that he has outlined. You are not bound to anything that he has said, anything that he hopes for you, anything that he wants to push you toward. You are not bound in any way. You have been freed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You walk a different tomb. But do not think on his words. Do not speak his words. That's the enemy. Don't go back to the huddle and tell everybody that's around, Oh, the enemy said this to me. Oh, I'm so scared. Go back to the huddle and say, You know what he said to me? (laughs) He said he's going to do this. Isn't that funny? He can't do that. Don't let him get you down. Keep laughing at him. Keep yourself smiling. Keep pursuing the things of God. Word of God has exhorted us. And this is written, the written word. This is at the top of our list. Whatsoever things are pure. Whatsoever things are good. Whatsoever things are wholesome. And the list goes on. Think on these things. Don't think on what the enemy is doing. Don't, think of let, don't let him get you to think about all this to get you stirred up in the wrong direction. If he gets you stirred up in the wrong direction, he's going to get your emotions stirred up. You're going to make a decision based on the wrong things and you're going to put yourself outside of where God wanted you. Don't do it. Don't follow his plan. Don't follow his way. Just tell him, devil, I know what you're trying to do. <laughs> Not going to work. Not going to work. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am the victor, not the loser. I am the head, not the tail. I am blessed. I am not cursed. And you are not going to move me into a place to be cursed. I will not pass judgment, so the judgment will not be passed on me. I will forgive, because forgiveness has been given to me. I will love, because love has been given to me. I will walk in the light. And I will lead others into the light. Glory to God. Amen. Well, if you raised your hand, just know that most of the work is identifying what the devil has done. If you know that he is saying this to you, then you know he's a liar and he's not proclaiming the truth of God. 
Don't think on those things. Change your thinking. Change your life. You can do it. We have some praise reports. I did not get anything back from the ECPAs. I sent them a note to see how they did on, on getting over there and uh, did not hear anything back. Um, no, we'll do that first. receiving those remember that the enemy who is trying to speak into your life did not die on the cross for your sins was not beaten for your infirmities did not face ridicule to bring you life did not die and was not raised up for you he did not take on your sin. He did not take on your penalty. What did he do for you? Nothing. Except accuse you. The only thing the enemy has ever done for you is to accuse you before God. That's it. Jesus is not the accuser of the brethren. He is the defender. The enemy is the accuser. He has done absolutely nothing for you seeks to destroy you at every place that he can. And we're going to listen to him? We're going to take his words seriously? No. Don't take any of them seriously. There is nothing that the enemy has spoken in your life. There is nothing that the enemy has stirred up in your life. There is nothing that the enemy is trying to push you to do, to think, or to say that will bring any life into your existence. It will bring any joy, any peace. All it will do is rob you. All it will do is take it away. When the enemy speaks something to you, and it's against the Word of God, but in line with His, do not give it thought. It's not a warning from God. God does not say, that's a tumor. You're going to die. God simply, God always, in the Word of God, He always says, if you do this, I will do this. And it's always a good thing. And it's always something we can do. That's our God. That's how He speaks. If there was correction to be made, He said, if you will leave these other gods and serve me and me alone, I will restore, I will do, and He lists all the things that He's going to do. That's God. What's the enemy do? You're going to die. 
you're going to lose out. That's his words. When the enemy comes after you, don't accept a foreign word. Because the one who spoke life into you is the one who died for you. As we remember communion here this morning, we take the bread and remember that his body was broken for us. That on his body was put our sickness, our disease, our pain. All of that was put upon him. No one else took that for you. He did. Let's remember what he did for us as we eat together. The end of supper. Jesus took the cup. He said this represents the blood of the new covenant. His blood has washed us clean from the penalty, from the sin. We stand before God as clean as he is because we wear his robe of righteousness. As we drink together, let's remember, it's not our work, it's what he did on the cross. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for sending your son. For standing on the sidelines while he was beaten, bruised, and hung on that tree. Gave up his life for us. Went to hell for three days. Was risen. And is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Ever making intercession for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for that love poured out on us. I thank you for the help that you give us this week to not think on the things that the enemy wants us to think on, but to think on your thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, here's your assignment for next week. We're getting a little light on our prayer reports. We want to get some more prayer reports going on. So we're going to give you a specific assignment. I want you to change your thinking, change your speaking. I want you to think positive thoughts. Good thoughts, thoughts of love, thoughts of light, thoughts of life. When the enemy tries and puts one of those foreign thoughts in, I want you to capture that and kick it out. When he tries to make you disbelieve the people that are around you, distrust, don't. Always think the best. Give that, start it now. Don't start it tomorrow. Start it now. And I want to hear a praise report from you. How is your week different? How was your week different? And all you got to do is put on there, it says, my week went this way. My thoughts went this way. My joy level was this. My peace level was this. Whatever it might be. Doesn't have to be a long, long thing. Just say, my peace level was so much higher this week. My joy level was overflowing. Whatever it might be. When you do it God's way, and things will change.